Anna here. Did you know I have another podcast? And did you know it's all about failure? Well, at this point, you'd have to answer yes to both of those questions because I just told you. But my other show isn't just about failure. It's about failing your way to success. Yes, success. Because the most successful people are often just the people who've gotten up the most times after their failures. Don't believe me? Go download Fail Your Way to Success wherever you get your podcasts or go to failyourway.com for more info. Now back to the show. One of the definitions of launch is to start or set in motion. And every creative person has to do it. So what are the secrets to a successful launch? With eight to 10 hours a day, I was like literally emailing people one by one. I don't really check my numbers. You know, I don't really listen to the podcast. I'm able to do it again, but as a normal person. Welcome to Anna David's Launchpad. Welcome to episode 301. Yes, we made it this far of Launchpad. It's a podcast hosted by me, Anna David. Uh, This season, I am talking to authors about how they launch their books And I am going to get right into this one. But before doing that, I'm going to tell you there are show notes. All you have to do to get a full transcript of this podcast as well as uh, the guest's top three tips and more is go to launchpadpub.com slash blog slash Dan. Now, that was a giveaway because the guest today is none other than Dan Paris. He is the author of the new memoir, at memoir As Needed for Pain, available from HarperCollins. And Dan was the editor-in-chief of Details for 15 years. Uh, during that time, the magazine won all these awards. He was also, in a sense, my boss because I was a freelancer for Details. We get into all of that and more. And he gives his top tips, and they really have to do with getting out of your comfort zone. Okay, you're launching a book. You don't feel comfortable going and asking for help. Kind of doesn't matter. Work through it. It's like a muscle, and you will get stronger and stronger, and soon you will be lifting hundreds of pounds in weights, which if we're going to keep this metaphor going, means you are going to be comfortable reaching out to anybody in the world. So enough of me. I'm going to give you Dan Paris. Dan, thank you for doing this. Happy to be here. Yes, I have to say one of the most chilling moments in your chilling book was the moment as the reporter when you realize you have nothing on your tape. It's it's the most awful experience that any any reporter can face. And, and in my case, recording an interview and then going to listen to it and having it really not be there or not be really audible in any way, it's just crushing. What's so surreal to me is that I'm pretty sure that's happened to me on a detailed story. And so my feeling like, not as if like, like, oh, Dan would kill me if he knew this happened, but like the fact that I know that happened to me on a detailed story and that like that had happened to you. It happens. And I will tell you something else. With the way that I originally wrote it in my book, I wrote, I wrote, I, I wrote that it had happened, but I didn't explain, at least not originally, how I was able to get something off of that recording. And my editor who read the book called me and said, listen, 
anyone that's ever recorded an interview is going to want to know what you did <laughs> to salvage this. We want to know how you got sober, but we really want to know we, exactly. how you exactly. salvaged that recording. So, um, and I was able to salvage it. Thank that was a miracle. Like, Back like, then, too. It's not like it was today. I know. Yeah, it happened to me, oh my God, the first Golden Globes I covered. So we're not talking about one interview. We're talking about I talked to every important, like famous person in the world and I came out like, huh? Huh? I I now, um, I've even done interviews with people where I double record. Of course. You know, just to, just to cover your ass. It's, yeah. Because you're screwed. Because no one really takes notes anymore. And, no. And... and I'll like try to be old school and keep like a notebook in front of me and maybe scribble down some things, but you're not. I, f but I do. I will say like, yeah, I do feel like re like once I was interviewed by like the New Yorker and like that guy took notes, no recorder, just notes. I'm like, oh, is that is that how you it's done? You can get away with that at the New Yorker. Yeah, exactly. You can get away with that. Okay, so anyway, so excited you're here. This is it is it is a surreal experience. I told you. So we are talking about your new book, which is. Uh, will be out by the time people hear this. What is the release date? February 11th. It will be out by the time people hear this. So, um, and, and you know, I, you know, I'm a little self-obsessed. So I like to, you know, I, I it's like, I, I just, the way this plays into my perception of you and you being in my orbit, because you've held such, such a place. So, so I'm, I swear to God, I'm going to let you talk in a second. Yeah, but, no, 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 the, uh, bring it. But the part, and I, I can't remember if I've ever told you this, but basically, for whatever reason, I just was like making it into details is making it. I never I, I published A Modern Love. I never thought that was making it. Yeah, I thought writing a book was made, but I had just put details. Yes, it deserved it, but it was almost insane, my obsession with the magazine. It really sounds it, which is which is great. But it was yeah. not normal. So my experience as a freelance writer is that I would every single time I published a story, I would color copy my clips because this was when you mailed things and mail them to details. And I mean, it probably happened like six or seven times and I never heard back. And it was like my, you know, my like white whale where I didn't actually even care. I kind of almost didn't expect to. And then one day out of nowhere, having nothing to do with the clips I sent, um, Andrew Essex emails me. He's like, oh, I just read a story you wrote. Would you ever want to write for details? And it, I was like, I made it. So, so you were always just like, I, I, you were always so kind. I was never scared of you, but you just operated, you know, this place, the real estate of my brain. So to understand what was happening, and, and I told you very unprofessionally, I have not finished the book, but I know where I am in it. And I know that I'm sitting with you today sober. Mm. So I'm guessing, you know, what's happened in the meantime. So anyway, I'm just going to let you talk okay. a little bit. Uh, first of all, I think um, I think that uh, I was we, we made a great magazine. You made a great okay, place. and and you mentioned Andrew Essex, and there were many other people that that really helped that magazine become what what it what it did. He's the best editor I've ever worked with. He's terrific. Yeah, he's terrific. He's a good friend. He's a wonderful editor, and um and it's thanks in large part to people like Andrew Essex, Alex Bataciargi, Jessica okay. Lustig, yes. others that and many many others um, that that we were able to do what what we did. I was, um, I loved my job and, um, but at the same time was, was, um, becoming a, a huge drug addict. 
And so I was taking, you know, back in the early days of, um, of my addiction up to like 60 pills a day. And um, I, so I was kind of hiding in plain sight, right? Yeah. Like so many addicts today, by the way. You know. But not functioning at that level. That's what's just it all it almost makes no sense to me. Uh, you know, I I hear you. I think I think the cracks were showing, right? And, right? and so I think for people that were in that environment with me and were working at the magazine and saw me every day or didn't see me every day because I was, you know, yeah, phoning but, it in some of the but time. But that's we just like editors get to do what they want. Well, that was the that was it was the yeah. most it was the most amazing kind of cover, if you will, yeah. for my addiction because I had the flexibility to do what I wanted. I was the boss. Yeah. I could this was back when things were being faxed back and forth. So they would fax things to my apartment and I would read things. And of course I made it into the office, but but not as as often as I should have been and not for as long as I should have been. So if I was in the office for three or four hours a day, that was a good day. Right. And uh, now this was, you know, in the throes of my addiction, I you know, sort of at the height of it. But um, but had it not been for this amazing team around me. Right. You know, talented writers like yourself and many others wouldn't have aspired to write for details because they this team really helped me kind of hold it all together. And here's what I remember. And again, this makes me sad that I haven't gotten to this point in the book because it's probably in there is I do remember you busting out in an editor's letter because it was when Ben Affleck was on the cover mm -hmm. about struggling or about going to a meeting or about drinking too much. Do you, do you not know what I mean? Maybe. Well, listen, once, uh, perhaps, I mean, I, I think, uh, I, I don't know specifically what you're, what you really? mean, but no, but listen, yeah, things yeah. are a little blurry. Yeah, the brain. You know? the brain. And so um, uh, that's just sort of my reality. But I, I think that I would meet people and I would, when I was, we, we shot the cast, the male actors and friends mm -hmm. for the cover of, of an issue back in the early 2000s. Mm -hmm. So it was uh, Matt LeBlanc, Matthew Perry, and David Schwimmer. Mm -hmm. And I did the interview with them um, because uh, I had known Matt LeBlanc a little bit and he his sort of team had helped set it up. And Nancy Kane. The great Nancy Kane, exactly. She introduced me to you originally, I think. It's quite possible. I was reflecting on that. She's okay. an amazing connector. Yes. And, and like, a, like a, just a spectacular person yes. and a really great friend. Yes. And so it may have been because of Nancy, but I ended up doing that interview. Matthew Perry had publicly struggled yes. with uh, an opiate addiction. I was still in the throes yeah. of my addiction but was trying to connect with people. Like I, I knew that it was bad. Yeah. I knew that I was an addict and there was no stopping that train. I was trying to stop it on my own, which is obviously very never hard. good very hard. and very hard. But I remember having a conversation, not during the interview, but at the photo shoot with Matthew Perry and disclosing my addiction to him. Although I told him I was in recovery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And, um, but I told him that I had nights where I would be in bed and would have swallowed already maybe 15 or 16 extra strength Vicodin. 
And um, and I would be like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm just going to take like a couple more. And okay, this could kill me, but like, whatever. And he looked at me and he said, I hope that I'm able to remind you one day that you just said that to me because that's how bad addiction was. And so I was, if I signaled in some way, whether in an editor's letter, like you're talking about, or in conversation, it was because I was probably subtly reaching out Right. But didn't have the courage to, to say, really hey, look, I'm an active drug addict and it's so bad and I really need help. I didn't I didn't have the courage to do that. Yeah. Well, I remember because, as you know, I was obsessed with details and I, you know, in my earlier recovery was obsessed with recovery. And I yes, I remember you talking to. Yes. And it was it has to do with that. We'll, we'll go back into the archives. Yeah, yeah. It had to do with Ben Affleck and you just being like, I'm going to stop drinking, too. But it was about drinking. It was not right. about the drugs. Right. And, and that was very easy for, for me to do, because while I identify as an alcoholic, I never really drank alcoholically. Same. Well, and, I mean, listen, I've, I had my it's moments, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but but it, it was not my my vice, if you will. And so um, I obviously don't drink and haven't in in a very long time. But um, I was probably I, again, I was probably reaching. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And um, and so. This entire, what I don't know, and this is why I feel bad. So details, so basically details just hung on and hung on and hung on way past anybody ever, you know, thought that the, you know, because I I think it's a miracle that any magazine is still around. It is. Um, Where were you in your addiction slash recovery by the time details ended? Okay, so I got sober in 2007 Mm -hmm. and um, details ended in 2015. So I was... Pretty sober. Yeah. Um, and uh, very, as I am today, uh, a- a- active in, with my recovery and in the recovery community. And so I, um, you know, it's funny when, when it was not funny because it was awful that they closed the magazine. Um, but uh, when the CEO, the then CEO of, of, of Condé Nast told me that, that they had decided to shutter the magazine um, I was like a little heartbroken, but like, okay, listen, I understand. I understand the climate we're in. You know, what does this mean for my team? Can we place them anywhere? The next day I had a meeting with, with, um, uh, another, with Anna Wintour, who's another executive at the company. And she said, I heard you took this remarkably well. Mm-hmm. And I thought, You know, I'm grateful for my sobriety because it allowed me at that really crucial point, not just in my career, but in my life, this end, this closing, you know, turning the page, um, it allowed me to to handle it in a really healthy way. Right. You know? Right. Um, So I was, was, I I approached it soberly, you know, Mm -hmm. but it was a bummer. But to your point, you know, it's a miracle that, that, that magazines are still here. And I think it's wonderful that they are. Um, But it was probably time for details to, to go. And as, as I watched the, the media climate and, and, um, all of the changes that were swirling around us, it, it seemed like an inevitability. Right, right. 
So, and so your decision to write a book, tell me how this came about. So, um, I, I, after I got sober, um, I dove into my recovery, um, and sort of the only way to, to do it. Well, that's, that's, that's bullshit. It's not the only way. Sure. There, there are lots of different ways. It's an effective way. It was the only way for me. Mm-hmm. And, um, to, to sort of, I really kind of dove into it. And, um, once I had a year or two of sobriety, I started thinking thinking back on some of the harder episodes of my life as an active addict and uh, experiences that like made my skin crawl a little bit and things that I started to share about in AA meetings. Mm -hmm. So I I went to AA meetings. I've only ever been to AA meetings. Same, yeah. I've never been to an NA meeting or or anything like that. Once on a business trip to London, I accidentally sat down and participated in an Overeaters Anonymous meeting. Um, uh, And it wasn't clear to me until halfway through. Uh, And even that was wonderful and and helpful. It is. It's just about the ism. And so... um, so after a few years and I started to sort of share some stories, I thought, you know, maybe I should just like, for me, write some of this stuff down. I had a friend uh, who um, had uh, recently published his own addiction memoir, uh, a guy named Bill Clay, yeah. uh, who wrote Portrait of an Addict as a Young Man and, uh, and 90 Days. Yeah. Um, both uh, addiction memoirs, um, uh, both very well received, both beautifully written. And uh, I had lunch with Bill and he was a new friend, but I disclosed my sobriety to him at this lunch. And and I said, you know, I've been kicking around. Now, listen, uh, you know, you've written a number of books. I've just finished a book. Um, I can't tell you how many people, once they learn that I've written a book, and I suspect the same is true for you, say, oh, I'd love to write a book someday, or, oh, I have a book Why do you think I have a publishing company? Right, and this is is your your bread and butter, right? Yeah. So so I sat across from not only an author who'd written and published a couple books. But the biggest agent in the business. But a literary agent who who was very well regarded, right? Yes. And he was like, you know what, like, you know, and this is the thing that that um, this is the thing that that some people don't think about when they talk about writing a book. You can't just talk about writing a book because that's what I was doing. And Bill said to me, "You need to write. Great, start writing." You know, so people have come up to me saying, "I'd love to write a book about my such and such." Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, what what's the best approach? I'm like, write. That's the best approach. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Or if you are not a writer understand that you're not a writer and get someone else to write it for you. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. But either way, yeah, yeah. Talking words about need it. to get on yeah. paper or yes. on a screen or dictated into some device, however the hell you want yeah. to do it. So Bill said, start writing. And I think I started playing around with writing. It wasn't until I was away in Tel Aviv, actually, on vacation. And I was sitting up on my balcony Oh, the hotel balcony at the, the Hilton in Tel Aviv, mm-hmm. which overlooked the pool and the ocean. I looked down in the pool in the morning and I saw these old men swimming laps. And it triggered a really powerful childhood memory 
of old Jewish men swimming laps. Which is like your second chapter. Which is exactly yeah. my second chapter. And I immediately just started scribbling down right. notes. Incidentally, that chapter has nothing to do with my addiction. Right. Uh, or at least it helps contextualize my addiction maybe. But that's and that's how I started really writing. The stuff that I had written before that moment was forced. I wasn't comfortable. I, I wasn't sure where I was going. Right. I was trying too hard to be the type of writer that I know that I'm not. That's another thing. You know, you talk about, you know, either you you either know you're a writer or if you don't know you're a writer, maybe bring in some help. I was trying to be a writer that I just not. Yeah. yeah. And 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 I I think there are a lot of writers that try to be writers that they're not. Yeah. And 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 that's a huge mistake, right? Well, I think whenever I mean this may be too general, but whenever people you, you, they're they're clearly having they're they're not enjoying the writing process. Like something's wrong. I know that like Dorothy Parker said, you know, I hate writing. I like having written all of that stuff. But there should be a part of it that's quite enjoyable. There should be a, a, part, a part of it. A part is the key that is operative quite part. Yes. 100%. And in my experience, I found it both um, amazing and unbelievably gratifying and also awful and torturous and exhausting. And... Um, uh, but the 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 gratification that I got from it, the the, right. the the um the way that I felt when I really felt good about something that I had just written, it could have been a sentence, a paragraph, or a whole chapter. It didn't matter. Was like a high. If I'm yeah. being honest. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. Know? And so. Um, uh, so, but it wasn't until I just was like exhaled and let my shoulders down. I was like, you know what? Fuck this. I'm I'm going to be the writer I am, not the writer I'm not. Yep. And I'm not going to try to be flowery and I'm not going to try to emulate writers whom I've admired. And I'm not going to try to write for the media community so they think I'm a good writer. Right. Like this is like, look, I'm I'm a human and an addict. So I am deeply, deeply insecure and I have a massive ego. Yeah. Right. That's yeah. a sort of like beautiful gift that yes. that that I've been given as as an addict. Yeah. I am like like epically insecure and think I'm like the fucking smartest person around. Yeah. You know. I get it. And and uh, I'm certainly not the smartest person around, and I seldom think that actually. Um. But but there's an ego. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um. But once I realize, all right, I'm not. I can't be. I'm not. Not that I wanted to be David Foster Wallace or or right. someone like that or Michael Shabon or or you know I was just like you know I'm not this yeah. is not what that this book is gonna be yeah and in the end I actually think you get truth because I'm not forgetting taking it away even from me I think any writer like you can tell when it's just hey this is honest they're not like overthinking this they are right. just they're like, not trying to impress I mean there's nothing worse than I. I, I don't know. Yeah, I happen to to not be a fan of the more pretentious writers. I know that. I wish there was a less pejorative word I could use to describe that kind of writing. But, you know, what you're saying also reminds me of kind of the way that you came into being an editor-in-chief of a fashion magazine. And to me, you always seemed like the, the height of, like, style and all that stuff. But the way you're sort of like, you're like, yeah, fuck it. I'm going to wear, like, my 
Converse or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I think um, I, I think that I think you're right. I think they are similar. I was just sort of like I tried. Yeah. You know. Now listen, I there's a line in the book um, that uh, that's interesting, like from a process standpoint, because when I when I first wrote uh, like this chapter that I talked about, where it was like really wasn't me. At the very bottom of the page, I also typed, I can't remember a time when I wasn't pretending. Mm. And it was just sitting there on the bottom of the of that page. And I, and, uh, I gave it to a, a friend to read and the friend came back and was, and that's like the only thing that was circled on mm. the page. They were like, this, this sort of like seems to make sense. I was always pretending. And so even when I took a job running a men's fashion magazine, um, I didn't know what, you know anything about that i i know and it's like more than any human needs to know about fashion at this point right. but um at the time no i was 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 faking it until i was mm. making it and um fooled me great totally great. worked well listen it was like all an elaborate con yeah right um and and um and it, it usually is i think yeah. with addicts you know and it it's you have a, a lot of balls in the air, but it, it was really one big con. I'm mixing metaphors. I just went to juggler from con artist, Works. but Works. Um, and so I was wh whoever I needed to be to make it work. So Bill says you should write. You write this this chapter, these notes while you're in Tel Aviv, and then what right. happens? I I write these notes. I scribble them in a notepad, um, and and then juices were flowing. Yeah. Um, I, I get back from that trip and I write that chapter, that which is now the second chapter in the book, which it talks about my childhood growing up in a Jewish suburb in mm -hmm. Baltimore. And um, it sort of lays the foundation in many ways for the for the for the for the book mm -hmm. um, and uh, sent it to Bill. And uh, he uh, emailed me saying, go, 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 go. And um, that was that was great. And so, since people who a lot of people who listen to this probably aren't going to be in that position where they know this top agent. So, but let's let's give them the like you know it's kind of a fun Cinderella story. Maybe it wasn't that. But so Bill then goes and sells it. So no, um, Bill then says, "Give me more." Mm -hmm. You know. So I started writing from different parts points in my life. Um, I wrote about the time that I lived and worked in Paris. I wrote about um, like sort of bar mitzvah season. I wrote about losing my virginity. I wrote about, um, I started to write about dr drugs and taking drugs and, and um, uh, going to Tijuana to That's buy good. a yeah. thousand pills illegally and then smuggle them back over the border and go literally straight to do the Bill, Bill Maher show. Yeah. Um, I, I wrote probably six chapters and um, and then Bill said, okay, stop. Let's get this organized and let's do um, a, uh, like an a outline or, yeah, and, and a proposal letter. Mm -hmm. And so we we and I needed help with the proposal letter because I'd never done one. So uh, Bill told me he said just write just write the letter as if you're writing it to me. Okay, this is how I see the book. This is what's here. This is what needs to be filled in. This is what I intend to fill in. He said if you have any other sort of 
already written, even if it's a paragraph or an idea or an exchange of dialogue, we can you know cut and paste it and put it into this letter just to show the thinking of where you see this book going. So uh, with his help, um, I probably had maybe a 10 or 12 page letter and maybe 40 or 50 pages of a book. Mm-hmm. And um, 60 at the most. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna send them out, mm-hmm. you know? And um, he sent them out. And that's this like, then comes this like purgatory of like, of waiting and- How um, long did it take? It probably uh, now. Listen again, as a as an addict, it, a second feels like a year. You want instant gratification, yeah. so it felt like a lifetime. It probably took a couple weeks, mm-hmm. uh, and then uh, we got there was some activity, mm-hmm. you know, and there were far more passes um, than than my fragile ego wanted to hear about. Um, but there were probably four or five. Um, or three or four. That's great. Uh, um, expressions of interest, mm-hmm. and so then uh, Bill scheduled meetings all over the course of one day, I think, mm-hmm. um, where we just kind of ran and had a coffee with this person and met with this person and met with this person, and um, uh, some offers then came in, mm-hmm. and, and Harper Collins. Uh, made the most sense. Um, I was excited about the team. Um, I was excited about how they saw the book, mm-hmm. um, and um, and that's and that was that. And then everything changed, by the way. Tell me with respect to how I felt about writing it. Like all of a sudden, it was a thing. Yeah, and it was it wasn't just me sitting down and like getting these stories out. It was like, oh, I have a deadline. Mm -hmm. I have uh, an advance. Mm -hmm. I have like a responsibility to deliver on this that made it harder to write and Mm. a little less fun. Mm. Um, But you persevered. I made it. Yeah, yeah. And um, what's okay? So we really are supposed to be focusing on the launch. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm in it. So and I know, and you're in it. And so what's interesting to me, again, from where I sit, I love it's that like, there's a band aid. Don't know you, why you have it's a band aid so on, on the cover of As the galley. Brain, it's almost like it, it should it, be it, part it, it of the cover be. design. It should be. Um, now let's put it right there. Okay. Um, because and you know, so I probably had six books come out during the, your tenure at Detail Tales when I would try really hard to bend one of your editors into like, uh, it's like a book about like this, but like it could totally be a detail story. Like, uh, like now you see the I other do, side. I do, I do, and um, and I like blanket apology. Oh, I never worked to you and any writer mm-hmm. that that. That I said, yeah, nah, I don't think it makes now, sense. Now, wouldn't you have just been like, yes, sure, anytime yeah. you have a book. Yes, A. We'll and, make a story and, work. And B, now that the digital platforms are, are, are so, you know, there's so many of them, you know, um, and there's so much space. You're not fighting for, quote unquote, column inches in a magazine. Mm-hmm. Um, the reach tends to be greater anyway mm. through, through, you know, digitally. Um, and so... I, I would have said, we'll figure something out. It'll be I at least know. a mention. I and know. and I have to say, I have been, um, I'm not a great self-promoter. 
mm-hmm. you know, and I'm also an apologizer, mm. you know, like I don't want to put anyone in a position to have to say no to me. Right. Not because I'm going to feel uncomfortable, but because I don't want them to have to feel uncomfortable saying no to me. Got it. Yeah. And so, and that's like probably not that healthy and I need to work through mm. that a little bit, I but I um, have had to kind of push through this. Yes. Because... So many people have told me the following, but first, here's my disclaimer, my caveat. My publisher has been amazing. HarperCollins, my editor has been incredible. The marketing and PR team have really been on it and helpful and supportive, uh, exceeding expectations. Mm. That said, Mm. every person I know that has published a book, and I know lots of people that have published books, uh, has said to me, this is on you to get the word out about this book. Yeah. Okay. They, uh, the publishers are going to, of course, do, you know, stuff. Maybe. But uh, if you're lucky, and and in my case, they are. Not lucky, yeah. Um, But by and large... This is on your shoulders and you can do one of two things. You can dig in and hustle and call call on uh, on anyone and everyone that you know that can help you. Me calling you mm-hmm. and other people. Mm-hmm. Or you can sit by and be really bitter and resentful and angry over the fact that you're not getting the attention that that you want to get. Yep. These are your choices. Yep. You know, there can be no middle ground. You can't really phone it in. Yep. And so I chose to step up and step well outside of my comfort zone. Right. And just reach out to people and say, hey, I've got this book. Could you take a look? Yeah. Would be so grateful for the support. Yeah. And, and people are stepping up. And it is unbelievable. Wow. I'm blown away by it. Yeah. So first of all, people are taking the time to read it. And and that, so I have a friend who's a writer, um, Billy Norwich. I, I don't know if you yeah. know Billy. Um, he, he, he said to me over breakfast not long ago, he said, you're going to be surprised how even like people that you consider to be your closest friends aren't going to read your fucking book. Yeah. And it's not because they don't like you or love you and want to support you. They're just not going to read the book. Yeah. You know? So the fact that people are reading my book uh, is, is really, really wonderful. Um, And, uh, and, but I'm, you know, listen, I'm reaching out and I'm asking for help, Mm -hmm. which recovery has helped me do. Right. Like just to circle back to the addiction, like you said before, like it's really difficult to do it alone. Yeah. You know, maybe it's not impossible. Right. But it's really difficult to do it alone and not recommended. Right. Right. So in my case, I'm sort of applying that thinking like, look, I need help. I'm asking for help. Um, And so um, I think anyone that's in this position is like an incredibly vulnerable position to be in, regardless of what you've written about. Like I've written about an incredibly personal subject and I'm exposing not just my like addiction to the world, but all sorts of uh, other you know things yeah. that are unpleasant or, yeah. you know, or potentially embarrassing. Um, so you're vul- I'm vulnerable in that way, but just the vulnerability that that an author faces um, trying to get 
published, trying to get bring attention to their work is is is, is pretty extraordinary. It really is. It really is, especially, and I st- I'm sorry to keep harping on this, but when you come from 20 years of where you kind of got to sit not being that guy, being the gatekeeper. Oh, 100%. I mean. Yeah, so harp away. I hear you. And and um, I think, well, I think a couple of things. One, um, right, being on the other side of it now, it's a bit like being unemployed and remembering that you know, when you were employed and someone would send you an email saying like, hey, I'm doing a job search, would love to connect just to pick your brain. Yeah. And you didn't really make time for that person. Yeah. Or didn't even respond to that person. And then all of a sudden you are that person and you're sending these emails out and you're like, what the fuck is wrong with people? Yeah. That they're not responding to me. All you have to say is, hey, I'm cheering for you. I don't have any time right now. Let's circle back in six months. Anything. But to get, you know, for crickets to like to get nothing back is yeah. like a dick move. I was that dick and I'm aware of that. And I tried to be, certainly once I got sober, tried to be far more engaged and responsive and empathetic and compassionate than, than I once was. Mm-hmm. But there was certainly a time where... Um, when I was running the magazine and people would be like, hey, I have a book. I'd be like, you know what? It doesn't really make sense for us. Yeah. And um, sorry. You yeah. know, that. You yeah. know, my second book, by the way, is it exists because of a resentment I have towards details. That's amazing. You're welcome. No, it, I actually care. I'm just, this doesn't even matter. So Andrew was there. He was such a god. He was so great. He left in the middle of this story. And I got this editor who's been on like many of my four steps who basically took this amazing story I had and made it into the most boring piece of shit to the point that there was a letter that ran the you guys ran the following month that said, I don't know how Anna David managed to take a topic so interesting and make it so boring. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry. But I had the best stuff. And Andrew was all excited about it. This guy who hopefully is unemployed. I'm so sorry. I, I don't deal with my resentments that well. Anyway, I ended up fictionalizing it and making it into a book. And I hated the book. The whole thing, never write a book because of a resentment. Like, I hated the experience. I hated the book. I tried to take it back from Harper. And, and like, but I had already spent the advance. Anyway, um, so yeah, it goes deep. It does. <laughs> It does go deep. It um, does go deep. But, but, uh, I hope that this opportunity to discuss this with me right now has in some way helped. And I will... It will only be okay if after I stop the mic and, and I tell you that guy's name, you're like, yeah, he sucks. Which I, you won't I, do because I, we, he was your employee. You, well, but you never know. You I never mean, know. Some of them sucked. Um, but I, I'm sorry that that happened. And... Um, but uh, yeah, resentments are a bitch. They're a bitch. They really They're a bitch. Um, but back to, okay, so back to this, like, so, okay, if we're going to talk about what you've had to learn, because it's been a learning curve about about launch, what would be your top tips for what to do? It sounds like one is for sure, get out of your comfort zone and just start asking for help. Make yourself vulnerable. Ask as many people as you can, even people that you barely know or don't even know. Ask friends to connect you with people that might be able to help you. I can't say what the sort of percentage of like success rate would be, but it, but I'll put it to you this way. my I sat down with my agent mm-hmm. right as we were beginning this process. Mm-hmm. 
And I said, God, this is so not me. I'm not a self promoter. I'm, uh, I'm frankly an introvert by nature, I think. And, um, and he said, look, if you're going to be okay, six months after publication, answering the following question, then you'll be fine. And that question is, did I do enough to promote this book? If you can ask yourself that six months out and be like, yeah, I'm good, then great. If you feel like six months out, you're going to say, oh, man, I should have reached out to this person. I should have tried to get on this podcast. I should have asked for help more than I did then don't let that happen. Mm -hmm. And I'm doing everything I can to not let that happen. Mm -hmm. So yes, first and foremost, like leave your comfort zone entirely. Don't just take a tiny little step out of it, but like leave it in another zip code mm -hmm. and go for it. Because the worst thing that you're going to hear is either nothing mm -hmm. or, hey, listen, I'm sorry, I can't help. I wish, I'm wishing you all the best. Mm -hmm. And guess what? That's fine, mm -hmm. you know, because you're also going to hear, how can I help? Mm -hmm. And and I've heard that. And and I think, listen, I, I, I don't I'm not. Um, it's not lost on me that I have years worth of media relationships and contacts to call on these people. Right. Mm -hmm. And I understand that not everybody does. Right. Right. And I want to be super clear about. Yeah. That, um, that said, still reach out to as many people as you can. Everybody knows somebody or two or three degrees of separation away from somebody who actually might be able to make a meaningful offer or help them in some way. Mm -hmm. Find your way to those people. Don't be bashful. DM people mm -hmm. on, on social media. Just reach out. You will likely not hear back, but in the event that you do, that yeah. it can be incredibly helpful. Yeah. Do you have recommendations on how, obviously, reach out with humility? Yeah, of course. Um, you know, I, I always am saying this to people because it's like, I think a lot of us, a lot of people are like, hey, can you help me? And it's like, try to be of service to that person first, however that is, you know, like favorite there, like even if it's like retweeting them, whatever it is. So don't just come with an ask, right? Come with how can you right. can help like, them. Like I would love to get this in front of you and talk to you about strategies for marketing and PR. And that is, cause it's not a direct ask, right? right it's right. like, listen, I know that you know about these things I would love to pick your brain. If you don't have time to read the book, I'm happy to tell you about it. I'm happy to send you the galley letter that goes out with it. Yeah. You know, because you don't want to burden people with like, hey, read this. Yeah. And then let's talk about how you can help me. Right. Because that's no good. Right. 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 And so I think you're right. I think it's like, hey, I would love to just pick your brain about this. And listen, I reached out to you. And you picked my brain. And I actually think you took some of my advice. I did take some because of your advice. Because this is how I knew. Because suddenly, like, sober bloggers I knew were posting about your book. And then, because of how my brain works, I was like, they got the book? I don't even get the yeah, fucking right. book. Right. So, so I did. And not only that, but you sent me a link to an article in... New York Magazine about, about a podcast. About a podcast. Did you go on it? I did. Nice. And um and so yes. So so people 
I think genuinely want to try to help. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the one thing that I didn't do, and I stand by this, um, uh, was I didn't reach out to people who I knew didn't like me. Mm-hmm. And so, because I, I, unless you didn't like me. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, too many double negatives. I'm, I'm, you okay. did the right thing with me. Go okay. on. But I, I, like, there are people and I, I really, you know, not many. I'm proud to but say. But don't you think as alcoholics and addicts, like we think people don't like us when really they're not even thinking about us? Well, sure. Uh, sure. But then I think there are a couple of people that I just know don't like mm-hmm. me who are in like amazing positions to that help me. That could help you. Yeah. And I, th- I sat there for a minute. I was like, mm. huh, do I like right. suck this up? And I was just like, you know what? I, I don't need to, because oh, that just creates even a bigger resentment. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This is this is both a podcast today about recovery <laughs> and and launching a yes, book. Yes, yes. And I was just like, that's going to be not healthy for me. Yes. And so I just chose not to do it. Yeah. Um. So yeah, first and foremost, reach out to people. Um. What I would also say is, um, be, you know, express gratitude. And communicate in like a really healthy way with your publisher. Mm, mm-hmm. You know, manage your expectations. And again, just to be clear, you know, uh, in the event that I want to get another book published by HarperCollins, they've been wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, no, but they truly have. Mm-hmm. And they've been very responsive. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but um, but just engage them as much as you can. Don't think that they're in their office thinking about you and your book. Right. Because they're not. Right. And uh, it doesn't mean that it's not on their radar, but they're just not. Largely because they could have a dozen, if not dozens of other books in front of them slated for release Mm -hmm. that they have to go send out copies and do this and, and, you know, whatever they have to do in the run-up or immediate sort of aftermath of, of, of a pub date, um, they're just not thinking about you. Mm-hmm. So this is not me saying harangue them. This is not me saying, you know, make as much noise as possible to stay on their radar. What it is is me saying is, though, like engage them, share with them, hey, I'm reaching out to so-and-so, they are connected to this, or they might be able to get me a post on this website or whatever it is. I'm excited, just want to keep you in the loop. Mm -hmm. Like let them know that you're doing some work Mm -hmm. and it'll just keep you top of mind. Yeah, yeah. And always, always, always treat them kindly. Yeah. And and, um, I think that that goes a long way. Yeah, I fucked that up myself. You looked at me, you made a face when I said that. Oh, yeah, because I did this so, I I didn't, now that I am a publisher, now that I'm somebody who people have expectations of, I now see how the people who come at me with that energy of, you're not doing enough for me, all it makes me want to do is not do anything for them. Correct. And the people who come at me with so much gratitude, all I want to do is help them more. Correct. So, uh, like, yes, and you have been on both sides yeah. of this now, right? Yeah, and but I didn't know that at the time. I just was mad that they weren't doing anything. Right, totally. And so, um, I think so. I think it's really important to just be incredibly smart uh, and communicate in really healthy ways with yeah. anyone that's in a position to help you, 
even if you think, and if you think this, you have to recalibrate your thinking, but in my opinion, but even if you think, but it's their job to right. be helping me. Right. Even if that's your feeling about it, and, and that's not the way it is. Yeah. Um, you you should approach it differently. Just approach it differently, you know? And remember that like everyone has their shit. Yeah. Right? Everyone's fighting with a spouse, dealing with their life hates their boss and in publishing massively underpaid and are massively underpaid and yeah. you hit the nail on the head and so that would be the second thing is sort yeah. of engage them as often as you can in in without like annoying the shit out of them and be gracious and grateful for for the work that they're doing on your behalf mm -hmm. um third tip I, the third tip would would be um Figure out what what's sellable about your book. Figure out what's marketable about your book. I say this as both an author about mm -hmm. to publish a book and also an, an editor and mm -hmm. someone that has worked in journalism for, for a, a lifetime. Mm -hmm. Don't just think, oh, it's such a, it's the great, it's the whole story. Mm -hmm. You know, now I wrote a memoir, uh, but whatever it is, because uh, people should care, mm -hmm. you know, no. Yeah, you you have to figure out what's what's my right. We're in uh, like Hollywood right now. What's my so brand? Like let's Hollywood the shit out of this. Yeah. What's your elevator pitch? Yeah. What's your brand? You know, like get it down. You know, like what is your book about? And figure out what's gonna make it. <laughs> um, I love that you're getting spammed. During, I know. Our interview. Yeah. Um, uh, what's going to make it resonate? What's going to make it memorable? And uh, I think that that's really important. And play around with it, right? right. So I've written a book about my addiction to opiates. Um, I did not write it because we are dealing with a, an opiate uh, epidemic, a true national health crisis. And let's just be very clear about that. That's yeah. what is going on. Yeah. Um, I wrote it to try to help people. I wrote it to get these stories out. Um, uh, but I I am in a position now where I can, depending on who I'm talking to, say, hey, listen, this is, you know, wiping out whole communities in Rust Belt towns. This is devastating urban America. And it is devastating. It's, it's anyone, and you know, it's, it, it's the great equalizer. It knows mm -hmm. no bounds. It's merciless. And I... I'm just one story, but but can in some way be an avatar for this, uh, you know, crippling epidemic. Right. So that is that's one way to to frame it. Right. You know, um, and you use that how as like a, to go on a TV show. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I want to be careful, right? I'm not yeah. sort of capitalizing on on people's sort of struggle. But how with this is it addiction. newsworthy? That's but it's how is it newsworthy? Yeah. and and find a way, you know, to make it newsworthy. Mm -hmm. Also, you know, there's there's something called the Jewish Book Council, which yes. I got from your. Faithful podcast. listener to this podcast. How how interesting was that? That was so interesting. Episode with Jennifer K. Armstrong for anyone who wants to know what we're talking about. The the way like her uh talking about the Jewish Book Council 
helped me with the launch of my book. And did you reach out to them? And are you doing? I did. It? Are you I do, reached did you get out picked to them. or whatever? It sounded yes, so uh, yes. Hard. I'm registered. You and I have. The, did you it, go and do the thing? No, the thing okay. isn't until May. Amazing. So though. I'm happy to report. I yeah, will report yeah, yeah. Back Maybe we'll that. have you back on the show. But I, 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 I got that from you, mm-hmm. and and so in filling out the the registration that is required for the Jewish Book Council. I talked about the Jewishness that I write exactly. about in the book. And there you know. is way more than I, I I had no idea about right. not how Jewish you are. Whatever. I'm a nice Jewish girl. I didn't know. It's perfect. Perfect right. for them. So it's so it's I, the point is yes. figure out who you're talking to and figure out how to sort of talk about the book. Magic plays a role in my book. Yes. You know, the I ar- saw your Instagram post today. The, yes, so where where I'm being levitated by David Copperfield, yes. who also plays a role in my book. He does, and so it's you, there's we're currently out pitching to people about the relationship that I have with David Copperfield. Yes, and David's, you know, David had always been there for me in my life long before I met him. And when I was yeah. a kid growing up in Baltimore, I escaped through him and relied on watching these video VHS recordings, Google that if you don't know what that is, of his of his magic performances, uh, this like annual televised thing, and 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 then ultimately developed a friendship with him and, and um that turned out to be an incredibly important friendship as you'll see, you know, um should you choose to finish my book. Anna. It's already very um, important in where yes. I am and the gripping part that it I had is, to leave it. It's it, it, already it, important. So David so it's there's that like, oh, wow, okay, here's a relationship. Now, listen, it doesn't need to be a celebrity. Right. It could be a father-son relationship, a boss-employee relationship, um, caring for someone that's sick, whatever the, you know, there are people, there are organizations, there are people like reach out, do your research. Yeah. And listen to this podcast. Exactly, exactly. With, with pen in hand, because <laughs> I got some, I've I've gotten hel- helpful tips. You know? Um and wait, Annabelle Gerwich is the one that came out today. Whoo! So I, many I, tips I ha- in that. I haven't listened to it yet, but I will. So um okay, Dan, this is great. We have we've done it. We've done it and some. Awesome. Um awesome. so thank you so much for doing this. Anna, thank you. Seriously. Anybody, uh, the book As Needed for Pain, A Memoir of Addiction, is available, I'm sure, wherever books are sold. Wherever books are sold. As uh, well as a site called Amazon. As well as a site called Amazon. And um, and then do you have a website that people can visit? Do you know what? Interestingly, I don't. What? Because, and that may change. Yeah. Um, danparis.com is taken by a, another Dan Paris. How dare he? Who, interestingly, and this is where it all comes together in a moment of magic, lives in Tel Aviv. Okay. Where it all started for me. Very full circle. And so uh, I'm, I'm I'm working on that. I'm okay, working. you realize that you could just do Dan Paris book, right? Yes, I, I do. And I own the Dan Paris writer URL and I own a couple other things and we're getting there. It'll okay. be up soon. Okay, okay, soon. okay. Yeah, I'm about to be angry. Like, yeah, don't be angry. Okay. Don't be angry. Okay. Um, well, and yes, and by the way, if you guys like this podcast, um, and why wouldn't you? If you've listened this far, by the way, if you're hate listening, that's serious devotion. <laughs> so please, please throw a review up there and say how much you like it so other people can find it and then their books can be massively successful too. Thank you so much, Dan. Thank you. Thank you.